so please open up your hearts to receive the word this morning, uh, and may it transform your life. Please uh, warmly welcome with me, Jeremiah. Thanks, Rich. Appreciate it. Friends, good morning. How are we all doing this morning? Good. I'm glad to be here with you. Rich is right. This is the season finale of Dear Us, and it's going to be a good one. Make sure you DVR it. It's going to be good. Okay, here we go. Get all these things set up. Anglin, thank you, brother. Again, back-to-back weeks. You're crushing it. You're doing a great job. Thank you, brother. Good deal. As I've said, it's been a, a real gift to me and my family to be here with you this morning, so thanks. Here we go. I'm going to start this morning with another picture, um, another picture of a time with my family and I, and this is a picture of Lucy overlooking an iconic bridge. Maybe you're familiar with it. This is this past spring break. This is Lucy's first time visiting San Francisco, and um, we went, and it was a really, really great time. It was a day-long trip. We live in Sacramento, so it's a little bit of a closer drive than if you live here. And um, we captured this moment, and I think my wife shared it on Instagram, um, like normal, like you would, right? Like anybody would. Um, But that's what I want to talk about this morning, because what this picture doesn't capture is a few things. Number one, we went to Baker Beach beforehand. Raise your hand if you've been to Baker Beach, one of my favorite beaches in San Francisco. Well, that day, um, what what this picture doesn't capture is a few things, and that day was number one, Bella found out there is two different kinds of beaches. That's what I'll say about that. There was Baker Beach, and then there's, if you head towards the bridge, on Baker Beach. There's another kind of beach. Daddy, he was running in slow motion like this. Sorry, sorry. Um, Second thing this picture doesn't capture is we went down, we had read that there's a swing at the bottom of like this one mile hike down. There's like a camping spot and there's this tree swing that happens that you can fling kind of into, I think, some part of the bay. And so we walked all the way down here after finding parking, walked all the way down, we're looking on our phones and we found out just a few months before the swing had been removed. So then we climbed back up the winding hill, which was beautiful, but when you have a 10-year-old and a 5-year-old and it's about 5 p.m. and everybody's hangry, it's a little bit of a different situation, kind of getting back home. What this picture also doesn't capture is us finally making it to a crowded Chick-fil-A just to have meltdowns right before we all ate, that's adults included. Um, so there's a few things that, you know, us like, oh, that's so sweet. It's all... We have Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat versions of our lives. And then we have the real versions of our lives. We have things that we share and things that we don't share. If you've seen pictures like this with maybe um, you and your spouse, or you see on on some of your friends, like, here we are, date night, and it's like a picture of them wherever, what you don't capture in that is the fight on the way to the restaurant. You don't capture the, where do you feel like going to eat? Oh, I don't care, where do you feel like going to eat? Oh, I don't care, where do you feel? And it's just like, well, why don't you pick something? Well, why don't you pick something? That didn't make it to Facebook. But the dimly lit sushi roll with the two faces blurred out, that's what made it on there. Because again, we have pieces of life that we do share. We want to present as like, hey, things are great, things are good. And the things that don't make it onto a news feed, onto a smaller screen in front of you. Because a lot of life is kind of mundane. A lot of life is just, you know, like some of you right now, maybe you're thinking, tomorrow I have a staff meeting, I got to lead, and Carl's going to be there. (laughs) Sorry if your name's Carl, you know? (laughs) 
Gloria is going to be there, or, you know, whoever. And it's kind of like, ah, uh, like Monday, and even here for the church, right? Like a lot of times in our journey, we live like from Sunday to Sunday. It kind of marks our journey. And maybe for some of us, the only time the discipleship happens is Sunday between 9 and 11 or between 11 and 1. And that's about it. And God stays kind of in this Sunday to Sunday kind of lifestyle. Monday through Saturday happens between that. Monday through Saturday actually happens six times more than just Sundays. Life happens quite a bit, actually even more so, in between these Sundays. In our culture today, with things like um, season finales and season premieres, they're always big, they're always um, salacious, they're always like, you will never guess what's going to happen on this every single season premiere. And every single season finale, it's like, this is the most controversial Bachelorette ending. And <laughs> no one watches that show in here. I'm sure we're laughing at friends that watch that show. That's another sermon. Um, but you, you get it. Like, it's big and impressive and, like, fantastic and remarkable and interesting. And a lot of life just isn't. That's okay. That's okay. A lot of life doesn't make it onto here. A lot, of, a lot of life happens when we leave this place. And so to, to cover a little few things, what we've, hap- what we've learned in this place over these past three weeks are these kinds of things. We talked about, as we're walking through Ephesians, the series is called Dear Us. We talked about this journey from sinners to saints. That God gives us the identity of saints based on the work that he has done, not based on work that we have done. Because we all know, if we all thought just for a second, if there's our own behavior, our own choices, our own, our own um, interactions with others, it's anything but saintly. But it is what God has chosen to do, what, the work that he has done that he calls a saint. Some other things that we learned was also that sometimes we can overlook what God is doing in our lives. And maybe he's right beneath our feet. We talked about Moses, the grand, the, um, take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. Not take off your sandals so that the ground will become holy, but you're already standing on it. God is already here in the midst. He was here before we arrived this morning because he likes waffles too. Okay. Um, We also talked about the three lies that we oftentimes try to replace, kind of a replacement identity. I I am what what I do. I am what people say about me. I am what I have. We talked about these things, but um, and maybe maybe one more one more little note I have. What do we have here? Talking about um, being rescued, right? We talked about last week, like being rescued, a rescued kind of life or a life of resurrection. But here's the deal, friends: a lot of life happens away from the whiteboard, right? These are great. We can like, oh, you know, that's, I can understand this now. I can see what Paul was trying to say. But what does that do for us once we leave here? See, in Ephesians 1 through 3, Paul is going through, um, and actually, as we talked about um, last week, this is a letter. So there wasn't chapters and verses when he originally wrote it. This is a a letter, much like that we would have today. But what we would um, signify as chapters 1, 2, and 3, that was doctrine. Paul was going through, this is what God has done, this is who you are as a result. Chapters 1 through 3 is mainly covering doctrine. And today, we only have one week, we're going to cover chapters 4 through 6. And chapters 4 through 6 is, now what do we do with that? How do we live this out? This is application. Chapters 1 through 3 is the what and the why. And now chapters 4 through 6 is, how do we live this out? How do we live as the resurrected people of God? 
chapters four through six. And as I said, a lot of life happens away from the whiteboard. Even though we're going to stay on it today, there's going to be some things that I hope you take away with before we share in a delicious brunch later on today. As I said, one through three, doctrine, four through six, application. Who we are determines how we live. Out of our identity, this gives us a foundation for how we conduct ourselves in day-to-day life. Who we are determines how we live. Oftentimes, the culture tells us that who we are is based on the things that we do. What we do, again, that's the lie. I am what I do. I am, I am what I avoid. I am what I perform. I am the things that I achieve. You are the beloved son or daughter of God, period. That's who you are. And when we begin to experience that and know that for ourselves, then this dictates how we live. So warning, I'm about to say a provocative statement, and it is to uh, keep your interest for the rest of the 20 minutes or so that we're here. Because I already told the funny family story, and now it's like, oh, now we're going to do the Bible stuff. I'm going to say this one thing, so you're like, what? And that's this, Jesus doesn't want to be number one in your life. Oh, (laughs) that was totally unplanned. Totally unplanned. Thank you, though. Thank you. Jesus doesn't want to be number one in your life. Stay with me now. Stay with me. If I said that week one, they already would have cut the microphone off. It had been like, get him out of here. But luckily, we have three and a half weeks of context, so you know, like, there's, okay, something's, something's going to shift here. There's going to be a shift in perspective, a paradigm shift, perhaps. Yes, it's on the way. But a lot of times, we can fall into the short-sighted thinking of Jesus wants to be number one in our life. I'm going to lay the foundation there, and we'll keep the tension tight as we look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, if you have a Bible or or an app in front of you, or you can take a look in the screens on here, whichever you'd prefer, we're going to take a look at at the hinge point of the letter from Paul to those in Ephesus. And it's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. This is kind of the hinge point. This goes from, Paul goes, and now that we've covered all this, this, now this is what this means for you. And therefore, he says in some translations, now, therefore, this happens. That's in 4.17. We're going to read it out of the message paraphrase translation written by the theologian, writer, pastor, Eugene Peterson. And um, I think what this does is this gives kind of new life to some well-worn passages. It brings kind of just a new life to some of the familiar lines that maybe many of us have read over the years. This is where Paul begins to explain this is what this looks like lived out. Ephesians 4, chapter 17, we're going to go to verse 32. And Paul writes to those that live in Ephesus, and Paul writes to the saints of Emmaus. And so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. They refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch not only with God, but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore. Feeling no pain, they let themselves gain in sexual obsession, addicted to every sort of perversion. But that's no life for you. Remember, that's no life for you guys. You plural. That's no life for y'all. You learn Christ. My assumption, Paul writes, is that you've paid careful attention to him, to Christ. You've been well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, 
and I do mean everything connected with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life. So put this past away. That goes to death. That goes to the grave. Now put this new life on from death to resurrection. Take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life. A life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. What this adds up to then is this. No more lies. No more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other after all. When you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. This is just a, a snippet this morning of what Paul covers in these last three chapters. In the last three chapters, he actually covers things like ethics, forgiveness, the words that we use with each other. He goes over um, the, the emotion of anger, which isn't a bad or uneven unhelpful emotion. As I've um, said a couple of times, from Monday to Saturday, you can find me typically in a psychotherapist's office. I'm a psychotherapist meeting with um, youth and adults and families and couples throughout the week. Anger is an emotion just like happiness and excitement and grief and disappointment. What we do with that anger is something different. How we wield that is something different. So it talks about how to wield anger. It talks about marriage relationships, which are totally easy. Parenting relationships, which are even easier. <laughs> Sarcasm. And uh, it talks about work and vocation, what that means for us as men and women as, as we're in the workforce, and much much more. Talks about quite a few things, but I, I, I wanted to actually invite you to spend some time maybe over this next week to take a look at Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 on your own, or maybe in the, the small groups. I believe you meet throughout the week and in smaller groups, um, but if you don't, I invite you to do that and share a meal and take a look at Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. He covers quite a few things because, again, in chapters 1 through 3, Paul covers a lot of ground theologically. He covers an awful lot of what God has done and what responsibility that bears on us. So four through six, he says, this is how to live this out. So for sake of time this morning, we're going to take a look at a, at a, at a few things. Um, oftentimes, how's that? Is that all right? Too oblong? It's okay. Oftentimes, our life can get separated into, for sake of conversation, just eight different, let's do this. How's that? Yeah, <laughs> and relief from stage right. Very good, okay. So oftentimes life can be separated, or maybe you've seen this happen um, into eight different categories. What do we usually call something like this, friends? Pie chart, okay, let's call it a pie. That sounds good. Sorry for the pizza lovers in the room. This is a pie. All right, so let's name, so again, Paul covers quite a few things in life, like the spheres of life that, that we live out day to day. Let's kind of put, maybe personalize it for you. What are some things, what are some facets, some aspects of your life? This is crowd participation time. What would be one thing I could put in one of these slices? Career. Career. Great. Next. Family. Family. Wonderful. Next. Family. 
finances. Okay? Hobbies. Hobbies. That's good. Can I put fun? Can I do that over here? So that can include like vacation, maybe recreational sports, going fishing, whichever, fun, fun things. Okay, what else? Future. So, um, yeah, let's do that. So, like, future planning. Okay, what else? We got three more. Friends, that's good. Education. Education. Can I put school? Because that's easier to spell. It's okay. (laughs) Education. There we go. This is an instance where the Sunday school answer does work. It does work. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it's always said, like, it's not, what if it's wrong? But how could it be? Because it's Jesus. Like, what do we? Okay, so we have family. We have finances. We have fun. We have future. We have church. We have education, friends, and career. I'd say that's, you know, that, that's fair, right? That's pretty acceptable. Just go along with it. Go along with it. It's the trap is coming, okay? Here we go. So I would say this isn't necessarily wrong. This isn't necessarily unhelpful. This can be helpful. Maybe you've been involved in some team building things or some staff development stuff where then you take each of these areas and then you kind of plot where you're at one to 10 on each of them, right? And based on, you know, maybe on the lower ones, you try and work on those particular aspects of your life. Maybe you've seen that. This is one way to kind of go about, this is the life that I want to design for myself, okay? So as I said, this can be helpful, but there's a few things that are really short-sighted about it. And again, Jesus doesn't want to be number one in your life. So what we see about this is that church has its just regular little slice right here, right? Just as big, and let's pretend they were all equally spaced, just as big as education, career, and family, and finances, and fun, and everything else, right? Well, how big does this have to be for this to be considered like this is a priority in my life? Anybody have that answer? The whole thing, okay? The whole thing. We're getting close. But then if it's the whole thing, then does that kind of kick out everything else? Like, then all of a sudden, do we just not go to school? Do we not plan for the future? Do we, do we not advance in our career? Do we not call back our friends? That kind of thing. Well, we wouldn't necessarily do that, would we? What would happen if all of a sudden maybe there's, um, maybe someone in your family um, becomes really ill and they move in with you? Now, a lot more of your time, a lot more of your time and, and mental and emotional energy might be going more to here and maybe career kind of takes a smaller slice of the pie. Maybe that happens. Or maybe um, right now for, for future and even for education, for those of us maybe in college or college age, maybe that becomes like really, really important because you're planning. And so like, hey, I'll, I'll attend church and I'll go to there because it's still important to me. I still want it to be an aspect of my life. But, you know, me finishing and doing well in school because I want to get into this master's program because I want to get this really good job, like that's really important to me. So then this kind of shrinks. So then what happens there? Then does God kind of become minimized? And is he still a priority or not? 
right? So think, things kind of flux back and forth. And sometimes for some of us, it's like, you know what? 2018, this is the year. This is, this is, this is the one. I'm really going to make this important. And church is going to be like one-third of everything. That's really going to be everything that I do. And again, I ask, how big does that have to be for it to be like, okay, I'm good, so oftentimes with, I would say, this kind of Western kind of thinking that there's different priorities, which actually, when the, the word priority, when it was originally written, there's only one. Priority was, mean, was supposed to communicate there's just one particular thing that was important. Now we use it as like, our company has 17 priorities. It's like, what? Then nothing's important if everything's important, right? So oft, oftentimes it can be like, okay, one, and then there's sideways two, and then three, and then up four, and then we place things. But sometimes, let, let's, say, um, let's say the cross, let's say Jesus is here, and um, fun is right here, let's just say, and then family's right here. You get the picture, sorry. Um, and th- these can kind of hop and skip and jump and go back and forth and trade and everything, and things can begin like, oh, I'm not spending enough time with my friends. Oh, I- I've been spending a little bit too much time kind of having fun. I haven't been saving enough. I haven't been taking a look at my future enough. My, my work isn't important. That's why my performance at work has been kind of coming down. What do I do? Maybe I should get started in church again. This is exhausting, right? It's exhausting. Also, what this says is that Church has nothing to do with family. That's what this communicates. The church has nothing to do with family or friends or fun or finances. It's in its own little box. Oftentimes, because we want to keep things safe, we look at God as kind of like like a fireplace, like a fireplace approach to our faith. Fire's fine as long as as it's in the fireplace. But you light a match in the middle of your living room, now we have a problem. Right? So we keep it over here in the safe spaces of our lives. Like, hey, Sunday mornings, that's when I dedicate things to God. And that's great. And I'm glad you're here. And I'm not trying to knock that or, or, or poke holes in that particular thing. You're here because this community is important to me. But oftentimes when we leave, what can happen is our approach towards God and worship and living this out stays here. Monday comes, we meet with Carl and Gloria and Debbie and Sharon and Rich. And it's just, we kind of do our own thing. And then we come back, and then we're, okay, now I'm going to get kind of my God, my God goggles on. Get them back on, right? And it kind of comes this Sunday to Sunday kind of thing. We think like, oh, maybe some shame kicks in. I just, I want to make God number one in my life. I want it to be more important to me. I don't think that's what Jesus is after. In fact, in the Old Testament, we see a picture of this, and the Hebrew writer tells us, that our God is a consuming fire. He envelops everything. He takes over everything that we invite him to do so. So the paradigm shift is that Jesus doesn't want to be number one in your life. He offers to be in every bit of your life. And my friend over here, with the spoiler alert, nailed it. It isn't that he becomes a bigger piece of the pie, but rather he becomes the filling therein. He's not just one slice. It's the entire filling. Or if it's better for you, um, metaphorically, Jesus becomes the crust. 
because you kind of paint butter on that on the sides and it kind of gets golden brown and it's delicious, right? You put some alamode on there. Yeah. He doesn't want to be just number one because oftentimes with the way life can happen, number two quickly can become number one and things shift and change because that's what happens in life. And it, it isn't um, actually that scriptural to keep it like this is just one aspect, but rather when we live our life as a Christian, Jesus becomes the filter by which everything else runs through. So he becomes the center of family, he becomes the center of finances, he becomes the center of fun, and we get to see purpose in fun. There is, there is tremendous purpose and value in recreation, recreation. Jesus becomes the center of our future. God, what do you have for me? What do you have for um, my spouse or for my family or for my boyfriend or girlfriend? What do you have for, for, um, for this community here? How can I help serve um, Emmaus Church community? Jesus, you are the center of all that I'm at, so I can see your wonders and your beauty in the midst of whatever it might be, neuroscience, marine biology, even accounting. Okay? <laughs> Jesus... Slight dig at accountants, sorry. Um, Jesus, you become the center of my friends. Jesus, you become the center of my career. And at the center of everything, not just one aspect, not just one piece of the pie. Jesus doesn't just stay in the fireplace where it's safe. He comes out and he envelops every single bit of our house. And he becomes a filter for everything by which we run through. What Paul is telling us, he picks out particular aspects in chapters 4 through 6. And what Paul is essentially communicating to us is that Jesus becomes the head over everything. In fact, in a later letter, he says, in Jesus, all things are held together. He holds everything together. And think about, the only pie I really like is chocolate and pumpkin. Sorry? He becomes kind of that pumpkin filling for everything. Everything, everything is held together through him. So a question for us is what areas of your life are not under the reign of Christ? What area or areas of your life are not under the reign of Christ? See, in the times of even before Jesus and Moses and Abraham, every aspect of life and every facet of life had its own God. So there was several. Let's just put them as boxes, just like this. There was several. Remember the 10 plagues? Moses slash Charlton Heston movie, Thanksgiving. Remember the Red Sea, the whole deal? Every one of those plagues was to be in direct defiance to the God of whatever that was. So the God of the fields, the God of the river, the God of the sun, the God of the livestock. Every one of those to show that Yahweh, the creator God, is the Lord of hosts, is the God of all gods, that he is more powerful, that he is the only one. So even the idea that many of us have in this room that there is only one God was a revolutionary idea in the time of Jesus and before Jesus. Just in itself of just believing in there's just one was kind of a, whoa, how, what do you mean there's just one? He can, he's ahead of everything? Yes, he's ahead of everything. Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 6, 8. I imagine that uh, Rabbi Joshua has touched on this because he's much more knowledgeable about this. But in Deuteronomy 6, they call it the Shema, this prayer called Shema. Say Shema. Shema. You know how we have um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name? You know that? And what, we refer to that as what kind of prayer? 
the Lord's Prayer, okay? So in the same thing with, um, in the Jewish tradition, they refer to this particular prayer as the Shema, okay? Shema, O Israel. Hear, O Israel, the God is one, the Lord our God is one. One. He's head over everything. So it wasn't just there was the God of here, the God of here, the God of family and finances and fun and friends, but rather there was one that kind of reigns over everything. There's one that reigns over everything. The Lord reigns, he reigns, he reigns, he reigns, if you will allow him to do so in your life. So what areas of life is maybe you're like, you can have all of this. You can even have 10% of everything that we make, Lord. You can have my Sunday mornings, you can have everything, but you can't have what is it that maybe you're, you're clutching tightly to? Is it future? Is it family? Is, this, is it maybe some habits that you have that you know aren't, aren't helpful for relationships or for yourself, and you're still like, I just still want this. You can have everything else, but just not this. What are those areas? The reason why he invites us to be our everything is not because he's um, controlling. It's because he's loving because he knows when he's at the center of everything, this is what a life and life abundant can look like for you. And the same way that a good, good, good father knows what's best for his children, he invites this for you, and he won't force it on you. We have a choice in the matter. The Lord our God is one, reigns over everything. I'll leave us with this. This is the final scene of the season finale. We're going to take it to Ephesians chapter 5 and just two verses. And if there was ever any kind of definition of discipleship or spiritual formation or what it means to be a Christian, this would be my vote. These lines paraphrased by Eugene Peterson. This is what I leave us with us as we live this out. Friends, watch what God does. And then you do it. And you all do it. Then we do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Jesus doesn't want to be number one. He offers to be in every bit of our lives. And that's not just for those that are, have microphones on stages on Sundays. Oftentimes we can get it confused and say, well, I'm just a this. I'm, I'm just a regional manager of this. Or I'm just... I just, I'm, I'm retired. That's, that's just, that's what I, the enemy has done his greatest work if he has already gotten you to believe that I'm just a this. He, he already has had you, you beat yourself. You kind of stop yourself before joining in God's mission to do what he wants you to do. If you think, oh, I'm, I'm just this. What, what, what can I offer? What, what, what I want to, to leave with you this morning is that the Creator God, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the Father of, of the Messiah, invites every single one of us in here 
to join with them on putting the world back together again. And it's broken, and there's pain, and there's trauma, and, and, and it can be dark, and it, and it can be very, very discouraging. And I think what God has done is he said, I've given you the ability and the opportunity to make the world around you look more like the kingdom of heaven. So let's get to work. Let's pray. Father, we belong to you. Thank you for the letter that Paul, written, that Paul wrote to the Ephesians and that tumbles into our lives this morning. Thank you for my friends and the journey that we're all on to follow you. May we keep company with you and learn a life of love. Father, thank you for your patience with us and your mercy with us and your grace with us. For those in the room that have struggled with self-doubt and shame, I ask that you would meet them right where they're at right now. That you would tell them that you love them with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, always-and-forever love, just as they are right now. Help us to be the kind of men and women that live out our identity. No matter what the day-to-day events are in front of us. Despite our age or our background or education level or where we live or what we do for a living or any of that, may we accept your invitation to join with you to make this place look more like the kingdom of heaven while we're here. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your invitation to be the center of everything. Give us the courage Give us the trust to be able to do so in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.